Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Vandana Shiva. Vandana is a scholar, food sovereignty advocate and environmental activist. She's author of Oneness versus the 1%, Shattering Illusions, Seeding Freedom. For more information on Vandana's work and to take part in her online courses, go to navdanya.org, N-A-V-D-A-N-Y-A. She's one of my favourite people in the world. You'll love this conversation. She's um, She has become what she does. She has become what she is. She seems to me to be realised and there's this real power in her. Now that Under the Skin is on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review there if you would be so kind. It helps us and we'll read them all out. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of my weekly Under the Skin podcasts, all you have to do is subscribe to Luminary on Apple Podcasts or download the Luminary app. Also, I have a meditation podcast called Above the Noise, which is on Luminary too. In this conversation, we speak about globalization and we speak about the COP conference. We speak about how billionaires are changing the rules to benefit themselves, how activism has changed, how politics has changed. See, it's deep. You're going to love it. Have a listen. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? Welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. When you say that you were appointed by the UN in an advisory capacity to help create regulation, and then when you talk about COP26 and how absent from the agenda is specifically conversation around nitrous oxide in spite of its evident toxicity what does this suggest about global bodies of this nature their efficacy and even their intent i think both national governments and global bodies have undergone massive change um, during these three decades 92 was the year when, because of the pressure of movements, the governments were forced to act and uh, the UN Earth Summit was organized at Rio. It's really movement pressure and indigenous people's pressure, exactly the kind of pressure you saw on the streets of Copenhagen, but a much more coherent pressure. And they were forced to organize the Earth Summit and the two legally binding treaties that came out of that were the Biodiversity Convention and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, and two very important legal principles that have been used all over the world. The precautionary principle, which is the basis for no, saying you don't really know the impact of GMOs, so you have to act with caution. You don't know the impact of geoengineering, so don't experiment with the whole planet's climate system, which is what Mr. Bill Gates is doing. Um, at that point, and I, I was very active in, in the framing of these laws with my government. Uh, and that's why, because I, I think I was a, a, probably the only one at Rio talking about GMOs and biotechnology because the 87 meeting where I'd been invited by the UN and uh, other agencies, the Dagama Jewel Foundation, uh, they laid out and said, now we'll own the seed, we will patent the seed. And that's why I started seed saving from 87 onwards. But I also started to follow GMOs. I started to follow international organizations, the GATT, which became the WTO. 
And I worked with my government and my government was a sovereign government because we didn't have globalization then, you know? We didn't have the global corporations inside our country. We didn't have the Monsantos here with their lobbyists. We didn't have the global fossil fuel industry. We were sovereign. We had fought for independence and became independent, but that was the history of most of the world. What was globalization? Globalization was basically deregulating, destroying sovereignty, creating the rule of corporations. And that's the reason many of us who were looking at the GATT, I was looking at from, from the point of view of patents, intellectual property rights, agriculture. Others were looking at it from the perspective of privatization of water. And we got together and created an amazing organization that I think had a very important historic impact, the International Forum on Globalization. And we said, if we do not get together to tell the story of globalization, then they will, they will fib and say, oh, India became rich, you know, just because a few software engineers were taken to Silicon Valley. Um, and the real story won't be told. We got together and we stopped the World Trade Organization in Seattle. People and governments acting together. We said, this is really a commodification of the world. We said, this, our world is not for sale. And we stopped WTO. And it was interesting. Immediately, the Commerce Secretary of US wrote an article in the Herald Tribune, anti-globalization activists are terrorists. And from that time onwards, new attacks started on democracy. A young man was killed in Genova. And these are histories that we need to remember that there has been a shift in the role of governments, which were of the people, by the people, for the people with their corruption. I'm not saying they were pure, corrupt, but the corruption was limited because the power of money was limited. The mining money was very little compared to the money of the Monsantos. Now you have governments that are off the corporations, by the corporations and for the corporations. And because the corporations themselves are owned by the billionaire money and the Black Rocks and the vanguards, this is what you know, I figured out when I wrote my book, Oneness Versus 1%. Um, you really have billionaire and corporate rule right now. And that's the case for national governments, but it is also the case for the United Nations. In this short period, the UN Food Summit was hijacked by Mr. Gates. The Climate Summit has been hijacked by the billionaires who do two things. It's fascinating to watch because having been part of the process from the beginning, they erase a lot, yeah? So for example, fossil fuels is coal and gas and oil, and all of them are causing harm. So they narrow it down to coal because gas and oil is in the rich countries. <laughs> and here now they can beat the poor countries, you know? And, uh, and from what I gather, actually on November the 10th, the US and China changed the phrasing and then told India, you say this, and now India is getting flogged for, for falling into the trap when Everyone should have been saying, why aren't the other fossil fuels in there? Why aren't all the greenhouse gases in there? In, you know, the three big ones are carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, 
and methane. Methane has come out as a big one because uh, this is very interesting to me. You know, I've grown up with cows and our cows don't stink. You know, you, you can walk with shepherds in the Rajasthan desert or in the mountains and the goats and the sheep don't stink. Yeah? You, you can walk with reindeer in the forest and they don't stink. They're all ruminants. Yeah? They all have four stomachs. Bill Gates laid out a thesis, the four stomachs of herbivores leads to methane. No, they have four stomachs so they can digest the roughage, the fiber. They then change this diet into beans and corn, which humans should be eating. You know, there's diversion of food to animal feed and treating the straw as waste product has then not just damaged agriculture, it has damaged animal health. And uh, when I read the literature, you know, just like our gut microbiome is being absolutely messed up with the toxic diet, it's being absolutely messed up with the monoculture soybean diet, glyphosate in that diet. The animal gut is being messed up, not only because animals are supposed to be herbivores. That's why they call herbivores. Yeah? They like herbs. They don't like beans. <laughs> if you eat too much beans, you're going to fart. <laughs> you, you feed that day in and day out to the animals, of course they're going to emit methane. So now they've equated, not just equated, every cow, every sheep, every goat, every giraffe, <laughs> every camel, as part of this methane emitter. You know, they've become all methane. Animals have become methane emitting factories. But I love the studies, yeah? So they say, why are the free range or traditional livestock with the pastoralists, the Maasai of Africa, why are they emitting more? Because they grow slowly, not, not with all the hormones and everything fed in the factory farms, because they grow slowly and, and if you look at it at, as the weight, and, and they, they roam large areas, the, the prison for the animals is treated as efficient. Yeah? You put them in just a six foot cage. And so they're only using six foot space on this planet. No, they're using hundreds of acres in the Amazon forest, which is being destroyed. So that's called shadow acres. You know, these studies have been done, but they're not counted. But the best is this thing, you know, because uh, a native breed grows slowly, per unit meat in that, and not all breeds, I mean, our cows are not meat, uh, but they turn that into a unit meat and then say, therefore, they will be emitting more meat. All assumptions. And the lovely time, you know, we are living through this interesting time where they say big data is the new oil. And partly because I've studied science, you know, any program, any equation, you put in the inputs and that's what gets churned out. Algorithms put out what you feed into it. And uh, the computer programs are getting sophisticated, fancier and fancier and fancier. But the assumptions that are feeding into it are cruder and cruder and cruder and more out of context with reality. And one of the worst outcomes of the COP26 has been shifting the aim of human life on earth 
from being protecting the planet, protecting each other, and having a future which every species aims to do, to aiming for net zero. And net zero is we'll continue to pollute, but now we will work out massive algorithms in order to take control of your forests and your farms and, um, and work out a net zero by 2015. This is an amazing scientific fraud, accounting fraud on the world at a time where we should be thinking, what is the right way to live on this planet? What are the right actions that we must undertake? Net zero is continue the rubbish, <laughs> continue the pollution, continue the money-making. And so well, the question you ask, you know, I think we have come to a point where delegated democracy is not working. Direct democracy, participatory democracy is the only way we can bring change. Yes, Vandana. If you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin.